Hey, before you begin the next chapter, I just want to thank you for listening and encourage you to listen to the credits of each episode. I can never be sure anyone's listening that far through, but imagining that you do warms my heart. So thanks. He is more than a story. He is more than a comic book superhero. He is more than a symbol of hope. He represents our greatest aspirations. He is everything we think we can be. And yet, even with all the strength and all the power in all of the world, he may not be able to meet his greatest challenges and redeem his family's legacy. For he is the son of El. Chapter 13 Manhunter Lex Luthor's disappearance was so absolute that even Batman could find no clue to his whereabouts. Luthor's closest aides did not know where he'd gone to or when he left. Jean Jones, the Martian Manhunter, could confirm they were telling the truth. Lex was thorough in leaving no traces to his plan. No satellite images, messages sent, Eyewitnesses, expenditures, nothing. He simply vanished from his penthouse in the middle of the night. Weeks passed by without a sign. Eventually, Martian Manhunter took over the investigation. Jean Jones had never accessed Lex's mind with his powers, though he had reached out to him before. Even still, he knew he could recognize Luther's psyche if he got close enough to him. I have little doubt I could miss Luther in a crowd. Wherever he is, I will find him. Clark had his doubts in Jean's plan of combing the entire world. How close do you have to get to him to detect him? Jean Jones half smiled. Do not worry about that, my friend. I will find Luther. Just be sure you are not late to your meeting with Princess Diana. Wonder Woman had recently contacted Jean Jones to arrange a meeting between her and Superman. It was scheduled for later that evening. While Martian Manhunter departed on his own to scour the Earth in search of Lex Luthor, Clark found a sense of momentary freedom. With that tyrant on the run, he felt a weight had been lifted from his shoulders. It was not long before that relief was replaced by other burdens. At their meeting in D.C., Diana brought Clark to her office where she introduced him to her associate, Dr. Barbara Minerva. Barbara was a tall, beautiful, blonde-haired woman. She and Diana were a formidable duo standing side by side. When they all sat down at Diana's desk, Barbara explained their work by revealing a briefcase full of photos and documents. The top photo had a face Clark had seen once before in a similar picture. Diana immediately took command of the conversation. Go ahead, dear. Tell him. Okay, so, Diana has me doing some pretty crazy work, a little out of my wheelhouse. But anyway, this guy here is Professor Achilles Milo. How do I put this delicately? Diana could not contain her disdain, interrupting. He is a wretched monster. Barbara waited a beat to make sure it was safe to continue. One real bad dude. He researches on animals and makes these horrible chimera things. But he's been impossible to find. Like, impossible impossible. But not completely. What do you mean? Barbara reached into her briefcase, pulling out a photo of two women. You see this woman here? This is Dr. Adriana Anderson. I went to college with her. Can you believe that? Clark looked up at Barbara, glanced at Diana, and then back to Barbara. Is there any reason I shouldn't believe that? Barbara laughed and slapped the desk. 
only because she's working for Empire Industries directly next to the CEO, Veronica Kale. That's why. Clark involuntarily raised his brow. Okay. And well, Adriana and I were talking a few months back, and Adriana mentioned meeting Achilles Milo. Hold on now. What did you just say? Barbara grinned ear to ear. I know, right? It's crazy. That's what I'm talking about. How did she meet Professor Milo? Veronica Kale has this really old mentor, some robotics professor, a real ancient dude, Arthur Ivo. Clark blurted out, interrupting Barbara. Wait, she's met both Professor Milo and Professor Ivo? Hearing Superman's recognition of these names, Diana sat upright. You know about Milo and Ivo? Uh, well, not really, just a little. Clark was unsure how much authority he could speak with. All he knew about them was secondhand through Batman. Diana squinted, ever so slightly. Then you... you know what Milo has done to people. To the animals. Only what Batman told me, but yeah, I've heard. That's a part of why we formed a League of Heroes. Diana leaned back in her chair once again, scrutinizing Superman as she crossed her arms. Go ahead, Barbara. Show him. Barbara cautiously looked back and forth between the two titans in the room before she went on. Okay, so, Adriana was able to get some info on Milo, and that's how we got these. Barbara scattered a set of photos across Diana's office desk. The photos were some kind of gruesome horror show, including some kind of ape undergoing brain surgery. Along with interior images of the laboratory were exterior images of the larger compound. Clark recognized this place. It was the same compound he had been two years ago, while saving the submarine stuck at the bottom of the sea, back when Luther used him for the first time. The following day, Superman led Wonder Woman to the compound in the South Pacific. Not flying as fast as him, Clark led up his speed to allow her to catch up. Whenever called upon, Wonder Woman seemed to arrive so quickly, but while traveling around the world, she was not one to hurry. Instead, she often slowed her speed and gasped at the beauty of the Earth on display. Arriving at the site, it was visibly abandoned for what appeared to be some time. Diana did not hide her anger, stomping the ground in frustration and leaving a crack in the concrete. Wonder Woman leapt into the sky again, clenching her fists in frustration. Clark stayed on the ground looking up at her. Are you sure you don't want to look around? I'm not wasting my time when Milo is clearly not here. Wonder Woman flew off and was gone from sight in mere seconds. Clark looked around at the bunkers scattered about the compound. He could see why Diana would not bother with them. Windows were broken and cobwebs were already forming. This was no place for someone of Arthur Milo's stature. Yet amidst these buildings, Clark could hear a heartbeat. Perhaps one of Professor Milo's poor experiments had survived. Or was this where Lex Luthor was hiding? The sound of the heartbeat came from the largest of the buildings, a concrete warehouse devoid of windows. Inside its main doors, Bodies of slain security guards lay scattered about. Clark moved through the vestibule and into the building's central chamber. It was a long corridor of a room. At its furthest end, a bulky form sat in a large chair, silhouetted by an array of monitors, their back facing Superman. The monitors were the only source of light in the room. From the chair, a calm, unfamiliar voice greeted Clark. Well... It was only a matter of time, I suppose. Greetings, Superman. I have been expecting you. Though I am surprised it took you this long. Who's there? 
Is that you, Milo? The shadowy figure softly chuckled. Oh no. Professor Milo could hardly wait to escape after I'd taken my final form. I doubt he will be returning. As the chair at the opposite side of the room slowly spun around, a spotlight above it revealed a huge albino ape. It was like no species of primate Clark had ever seen before. Most disturbing was the top of its head. This creature's brain was visible from under a glass-domed skull. Superman stepped back in horror at the sight. What? Who are you? The ape smiled a malicious grin. I am the greatest mind of my generation. Any names I once had pale to describe me. I have adapted my brain, and now my body, beyond human ability. I have become ultra-humanite. Look, I don't know what Milo did to you, but I want to help. That is very kind of you, Superman. But Achilles did nothing to me. He simply provided this shell for me to inhabit. I have done all the rest, and I doubt there is anything you or he can do to help me. I will be helping myself, thank you. Now hold on a second. As Superman took a single step toward Ultrahumanite, a dart shot from the wall, precisely striking the clasp release of his belt. The release button was the tiniest inset pinhole, yet the aim of the dart had been perfect. In that same moment, another dart shot out, ensnaring the belt and pinning it to the wall behind Clark. Superman stopped at once. Ultrahumanite's delight could be seen in his eyes. Go ahead, Superman. Take another step. The next dart will be pure kryptonite. But you don't have to take a step. Why, you could fly over here if you choose. But do you want to gamble that your maximum flight speed of 853 kilometers per hour will suffice? It's your move, Superman. What if I don't move? Ah, yes. Your infamous powers of frigid breath and fiery vision. Please, try. I trust my blast shields will activate in time to nullify their effects. As I said, Superman, go ahead. It's your move. Only a single moment passed before Superman hurled himself backwards, through the wall behind him. As he smashed through the heavily enforced panel, he grabbed hold of his belt. Outside of the windowless building, Clark made one swift movement circulating around the structure while putting the belt back on at the same time. From the backside of the building, Superman exploded through the wall behind the computer console that Ultrahumanite sat at. Clark restrained him in his own chair and flew him several thousand meters above the compound. What's your contingency plan for this? Ultrahumanite had nothing to say for himself. Quite the contrary. From that moment until they arrived at Star Labs, Clark never heard the ape speak again. Ultrahumanite did all he could to come off as a simple animal and cast doubt on Superman's claims. It was only a matter of days before Clark got word that the ape, having minimal security around him, managed to escape. Superman looked to Batman for answers and a place to vent his frustration. You would think that a 600-pound albino gorilla would catch more attention. Batman could not have cared less. Not ultra-humanite. He excels at not being noticed. How have you never mentioned him before? Bruce breathed out one long sigh. He's a member of the Lightkeepers from a past generation. Only, he's altered his brain and body beyond recognition. Making matters worse, he tampered with the memories of our grandparents' generation. No one remembers who he was. Most of the Lightkeepers pretend he doesn't exist. That is, of course, until they need him once again for whatever sick experiment they have planned. It appears this time Milo has paid him in the form of an ape's body. 
What do you mean? Paid him? Achilles Milo engineered that creature for Ultra Humanite to transfer his brain into. Probably in exchange for help on another experiment. That's what Milo does. He engineers innocent creatures into monsters. All for sport. How do we stop him? First, we find him. I thought you had all the information on the Lightkeepers. I did, at one time. But their efforts to keep me busy have not been in vain. I'll find Milo again. He doesn't stay put for long. Every now and then, he stirs up just enough waves to be found. If we move quickly when he does, we can catch him. Ultra Humanite, Achilles Milo, Lex Luthor, all of them moved unseen around the world. As weeks stretched into months, finding them felt like a futile effort. Yet hope came in the form of Martian Manhunter's return. He reached out to Clark telepathically and the two of them agreed to meet with Batman at the Batcave. There, Jean Jones broke down all he had learned. I have tracked down Luther to a compound built on a small volcanic island. He is not alone. The island is inhabited with a menagerie of beasts unlike any I have seen before on Earth or Mars. The poor creatures are suffering. I can sense their pain in every movement. Batman brought up a map of the island on his computer console. I've never fared well against Milo's monsters. I'd only be a liability on an island full of them. You two go. Bring Wonder Woman along. And being that it's on an island, you should reach out to your cousin. Have him meet you there. When they asked Diana, she passed on this expedition. She did not think Luther was worth the effort and assured them they would be fine without her. Meanwhile, Arthur Curry met them offshore of the island, rising from the sea and standing on its surface. He held a marvelous three-pronged trident and carried himself with a regal confidence. In recent months, after meeting Jean Jones, Arthur had made his debut as a hero in the world. Saving sinking ships and other seaside disasters had earned him the moniker, Aquaman. Hey, hey, cousin. Hey, Aquaman. When did you start walking on water? Oh, this? I'm pretty sure it's a power I picked up when I inherited my grandfather's trident. Pretty rad, right? So, what's the deal here? Clark kept his breakdown brief. The plan was to fight their way to the center of the island, starting at opposite shores. Aquaman would approach from one end, Jean Jones from another. By drawing out his defenses, Clark hoped to catch Luther less protected. Their time to elaborate on their strategy was cut short when Luther's drones detected them offshore and were deploying from the beaches. The heroes broke apart to execute their plan. As the two others fought their way inland against deformed and starved predators, Superman surged forward. Charging his way into the compound of buildings near the base of the island's volcano, he scanned for Luther. His supervision revealed Lex's hiding spot. He was the only human on the entire island. Superman shot to the underground bunker in which he hid. Breaking the door off its hinges and tossing it aside, he was met by the sound of a powerful engine activating. Inside of the bunker, some strange robotic block on the floor stood up. It unfolded into the shape of a man. Clark vaguely recognized this form. In the center of its chest was embedded the same large cube of kryptonite that he first saw inside of Corbin. As Superman stood in shock, the android grabbed hold of him, hurling him against the bunker wall. Hey Superman, did you miss me? Superman, instantly knowing he was outmatched, telepathically called out to Jean Jones. Miss me? You probably don't even recognize me, do you? Come on, Superman. No guesses? The android picked Superman up and threw him against the other wall. It's me, Superman. Your old friend John. 
John Corbin. Don't you remember? But they call me Metallo now, and I hate it. I truly do. I hope you're happy, though, because this happened because of you. They tell me I'm some great achievement, the culmination of Project Adonis. All that power they created, and they gave it to me. It's poetic, really. The robotic skeleton of John Corbin moved closer to Superman. Turns out, kryptonite is your gift to the world and your revenge on me. Carving that kryptonite chain destroyed my body. Now all I have is this kryptonite-powered monstrosity. All for killing you. Clark was devastated to see that Corbin was all but dead now. Only his brain remained, preserved inside this machine. It broke Clark's heart. His family's legacy destroyed all of Krypton and caused so much suffering to this very day. Corbin started beating Superman out of pure spite. Pummeled with repeated blows, Clark felt powerless to respond in the face of such a large piece of kryptonite. This is only the beginning, Superman. I'm gonna make you hurt. I'm gonna make you... Abruptly, as he lifts Superman once more to slam him against another wall, Metallo froze mid-sentence. The hand of Martian Manhunter phased through his back, removing the kryptonite cube. I will dispose of this. Jean Jones immediately retreated with the stone to take it as far away as possible. Metallo's powerless body dropped Superman and fell to the ground. Clark took a deep breath to stabilize himself. He was not fully recovered, yet he pushed himself onward to confront Luther once and for all. In the next chamber, Luther was not yet ready for Superman. Lex was scrambling to put on a mechanical suit of armor, brightly colored in fluorescent pink and green. Superman calmly walked across the room toward him. It's over, Lex. Don't celebrate too soon, Kryptonian. Just as Superman stood in front of Luther, his suit finished powering up. Faster than Superman expected, Luther pulled back his arm and punched. Upon impact with Superman's face, the arm of the mechanical suit shattered. Lex cried out in anguish as bones throughout his entire body fractured inside of the suit. Clark heard the bones breaking and felt pity for his nemesis. It had never been clearer for him to see. Luther so desperately wanted to feel as powerful as Superman. Jean Jones stayed with Lex and soothed his pain telepathically while Clark fashioned a gurney to carry him. Once Luther had been dropped off with authorities, Clark didn't see him again for months, not until his court trial where he appeared in a full-body cast. The trial of Lex Luthor was held soon before Christmas and wrapped up before the holiday. His charges were many, and included the worker endangerment of LexCorp employees forced to enact his volatile experiments. All of the informants from Lois's article who promised to testify followed through on their word. In the end, the body cast Lex War did nothing to garner sympathy from the jury, who took no time to deliberate a guilty verdict. Clark thought the judge was outrageously lenient. Lex was sentenced to only 15 years in a low-security prison. Batman wasn't surprised at all. His perspective had been far less hopeful. The worst is yet to come. What makes you say that? Power abhors a vacuum. With Luther out of the way, the remaining Lightkeepers will be unpredictably dangerous as they vie for dominance. Clark swallowed and tried to change the subject. How about Christmas dinner this year? Jean Jones will be there. Care to join us? Bruce looked at Clark from the corner of his eye and gave him the faintest smile. I'll have to pass, but wish Jonathan and Martha a Merry Christmas for me. Clark relayed Bruce's regards to the Kents, yet Batman's foreboding concerns hung low over his head throughout the holidays. 
What could possibly be worse than they had already seen? Thank you for listening. I'm Isaac Bluefoot. Sun of L is written and independently produced by myself. Support the show by sharing it on social media and simply by talking about it. A conversation can do wonders to spread the word about this amazing story. I really, truly appreciate it. You can support my continued storytelling by becoming a patron at patreon.com bluefoot. This story was inspired by the Superman and DC Comics and characters originally created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, with additional contributions by Joseph Samuelson, Joe Serta, William Moulton Marston, Harry G. Peter, Len Wayne, George Perez, Greg Rucka, Liam Sharp, Drew Johnson, Bill Finger, Bob Kane, Marv Wolfman, Jerry Ordway, Mort Weisinger, Paul Norris, Gardner Fox, Mike Sikowski, Sheldon Moldoff, Robert Bernstein, and Al Plastino. Manuscript editing assistance by Trisha Reel. Music in this episode was made by BioUnit, Chad Crouch, Poddington Bear, Kyle Preston, Blue Dot Sessions, Vortex, Dilating Times, Mellow C, Scan Globe, Nylor, Jack Anderton, Tortu Supersonic, and Scott Holmes Music. See the episode notes for details. For more of my work, get yourself a deck of Omen Quest cards at omenquestcards.com, games with heart to break the ice. And be sure to listen to the next episode. Chapter 14, Gods and Monsters. <laughs>